0: On today's episode, we get into the 17th of Grimm's Fairy Tales titled The White Snake. My name is Zach Stewart, and these are the Shadow Bear story sessions. Welcome to the Shadowverse Story Sessions, the podcast that shows that fairy tales and folklore were way more fun back when they were super dark and completely insane, before modern movies and books cleaned them up and watered them down just to make them more family friendly. We don't need none of that. We want the grisly originals. So we're going through Grimm's fairy tales one by one, and today's episode features a story titled The White Snake. So let's get right into it. The White Snake Every day at noon, a covered dish was placed on the king's table. Then, after everyone left, the king would eat alone from this dish, and nobody in the entire realm knew what kind of food was in it. One of the servants became curious and wanted to know what the dish contained. On one occasion, after the king had ordered him to take the dish away, he could no longer restrain himself, so he took the dish to his room and uncovered it. As he lifted the cover, he found a white snake lying inside. You could probably guess that from the title. And once he laid his eyes on it, he felt a great desire to taste some of it. So he cut off a piece and began eating it. No sooner did his tongue touch the flesh of the snake than he understood the language of animals and heard what the birds on the windowsill were saying to each other. We are off with a bang, and I am here for it. On this very same day, the queen lost one of her most beautiful rings, and the suspicion fell on him. The king also said that if he was not able to find the thief by morning, he himself would be punished as if he had been the guilty person. Why are they throwing all this heat right on this one particular servant? Although he has been stealing the king's dinner afterwards, so he's not doing the best job of taking attention away from himself and flying under the radar, so it's probably spilling over into other other aspects of his work as well. He's He might be drawing a little more attention than, than would be wise, is, is what I'm saying. So the servant became sad at the idea of his impending punishment and went down into the courtyard where some ducks were resting in the water. As he was watching them, he heard one of them say, "'There's something heavy in my stomach. I ate a ring that the queen has lost.'" How did the duck know that the queen had lost the ring? Did unless the duck literally ate the ring off the queen's finger, presumably the queen just dropped it somewhere and the duck happened upon it and, and ate it. This is very convenient story wise, is all I'm saying. The servant took the duck and carried it to the cook. Kill this one. It's fat enough. Is that how it works? In terms of the in terms of the food, in terms of the meals? The chef was probably like, we have our own ducks that we raise specifically for food. Did you, did you just catch this duck outside? Why are you bringing me this duck? I'm the chef. I get the ducks. That also means that an observer would have just seen the servant sit down next to this pond, look over at a duck, and then dove at the duck and caught the duck. It can't be easy to catch a duck. Chickens are difficult to catch, and they can't even fly. This would have been a struggle to catch this duck. He must have dove on it like a madman, brought it to the chef. Anyway, things seemed to be working out. Good thing he can hear animals. So the cook cut off the duck's neck, and when he began cleaning it, the queen's ring was lying in its stomach. The servant brought it to the king, who was astonished and happy. Since he was sorry that he had treated the servant unjustly, he said, Demand whatever you like, and whatever position of royal honor you would like. It's kind of him. However, the servant declined every offer, even though he was young and handsome. Not sure what that is implying about young and handsome people. His heart was sad, and he didn't want to remain at the court any longer. I guess because he was threatened to be punished for something he didn't do. Understandable. So he asked only for a horse and for money to travel and see the world. can't imagine the king was very happy with that. He probably was Was like, well, I was thinking like a promotion, I wasn't just going to give you a bunch of stuff. But in any event, he asked only for a horse and for money to travel to see the world. He was provided with everything in the very best way. So this king feels really guilty for almost punishing this guy. The next morning, he rode off and came to a pond where three fish were trapped in the reeds and were wailing that they'd have to die if they couldn't get back into the water. So he dismounted, took them out of the reeds, and put them back into the water. Then the fish cried out, "'We'll remember you, and one day we'll repay you.'" This so sounding very similar to the previous story, her fix-a-lot, er, her fix-it-up. He rode on, and a while later he heard an ant-king crying out, "'Get away from us! Your enormous beast is trampling us with his large hooves!' The young man looked down to the ground and saw that his horse had stepped on an ant hill. So he turned his horse away and the ant king called out, we'll remember you, and one day we'll repay you. Well, there's nothing to repay there. He was—he still trampled the anthill. It's not like he did any favor. He was walking along and continued walking, basically. He didn't really do, go out of his way to get off of the anthill. He just had to continue going anyway. There's no favor to the ant king here. Soon the servant entered a forest where two ravens were throwing their young ones out of their nests. They said that their tiny ones were now big enough and could feed themselves. The young birds lay on the ground and screamed that they would die of starvation because their wings were still too small and they couldn't fly yet and search for food. So I guess their parents are terrible. So the young man dismounted, killed his horse with a sword, and threw the horse to the young ravens. They hopped over to the horse, ate their fill, and said, We'll remember this, and one day we'll repay you. So yeah, this is just like Air fix-it-up. He also killed his own horse to feed a bunch of birds. Also, a horse is way too big for just a small family of birds. Baby birds at that. Just kill an entire horse. Have a few baby birds eat this raw horse. Jesus. And in here, Fix-It-Up, that one horse was supposed to feed like a billion, a billion crows, I think it was. So it was way too little food for that. Now it's way too much food for these little birds. In any event, we see what they're going for here. We see what they're leading towards. The young man moved on and came to a large city where he heard a proclamation that whoever wanted to marry the king's daughter would have to perform a task given by her. And if he didn't complete it successfully, he would forfeit his life. So this is pretty much just an analog, very similar structure and plot to Hair Fix It Up. But a little little tweaks and had that cool white snake thing to begin with. Many princes had already been there and had lost their lives. So there was nobody anymore who dared to try. Okay, that's a hint. If the princess... Is creating such difficult tasks that no one can accomplish them she does not want to get married. no one's even putting for putting themselves forth to to try yeah, this princess does not want to get married she doesn't she's just trying to stay single or she doesn't swing that way in any event she doesn't want it back off clearly. this is why the princess had the proclamation issued again because no one wanted to try and I'm guessing the king probably forced her to, because he's like, you gotta pick someone. So the servant thought about it and decided to declare himself as a suitor. So he was led out to the sea, where a ring was thrown into it. He was to fetch it, and if he came out of the water without it, he'd be pushed back into the sea and would have to die in the water. As he was standing on the shore, the three fish that he had taken from the reeds and thrown into the water came swimming toward him. One of the fish held a shell in its mouth and the ring was in the shell. The fish set it down on the beach at the feet of the young man, who was full of joy. So he brought the ring to the king and demanded the princess. However, when the princess heard that he wasn't a prince, she refused to accept him. Instead, she scattered ten sacks full of millet seeds in the grass. He was to pick them all up before sunrise the next day, and every single grain was to be gathered or else he'd lose his life. All at once the ant king came up with all his ants whom the young man had protected. He didn't protect them. He trampled their anthill and just went on his way. Again, he did no favors to this anthill. All at once the ant king came with his ants whom the young man had protected, and they picked up the millet seeds during the night and poured them back into the sacks. By morning they had finished the task, and when the prince saw that the sacks had when the princess saw that the sacks had been filled, she was astonished and the young man was brought before her. Since he was handsome, she liked him, but demanded that he perform a third task. So she's coming around, I guess, slowly. He was to fetch an apple from the tree of life. As he stood there and thought about how he might get it, one of the ravens, whom he had fed with his horse, came and brought the apple in its beak. Very convenient. Also, those ravens must have grown up very quickly, Then again, if you give them an entire horse, maybe that's that's speeding up their their development. This is how he became the princess's husband, and when her father died, he became king of the entire country. The end. This is pretty much just exactly Hair Fix It Up, except there's the bit at the beginning with the white snake to explain why he can talk to animals. Whereas in Hair Fix It Up, he just can, and it's completely unexplained. To be honest, I liked Hair Fix It Up more because Hair Fix It Up himself was kind of an overconfident psychopath, and that was pretty fun. So, gonna be honest, gotta give the edge to Hair Fix It Up here. And the unicorn thing if anyone hasn't seen or hasn't listened to that episode yet, I'm not gonna ruin it, but I was really into the unicorn thing. I thought that was cool as hell and not. As into this apple from the tree of life thing, kind of vague, don't really know what that means. It's presumably just a tree really far away, but if a raven can just go get it, then it in in like a short period of time, clearly as he stood there and thought about how he might get it, that's when one of the reasons just came back and brought it back, so it can't be very far away. probably could have just you know ridden out and. Gotten the apple himself if he hadn't killed his own horse and given it to the to the baby ravens. Yeah, not not as much into the white snake as Hair Fix It Up. And this is too similar. I'm not even gonna adapt this. This is too similar to Hair Fix It Up. her Fix It Up was more fun. Go listen to Hair Fix It Up to catch up on why it was more fun. But I'm just gonna roll right on into the next one. Number 18: The Journey of the Straw, the Coal, and the Bean. So, we're going to do it two for one this episode. Story number 18 of Grimm's Fairy Tales The Journey of the Straw, the Coal, and the Bean. We begin. A straw, a coal, and a bean came together and wanted to take a great journey. They had already gone through many countries when they reached a brook without a bridge and couldn't cross. Finally, Straw came up with a good idea. He laid himself across the brook, and the others were to cross over him. First Cole, then Bean. Cole took wide steps and slowly crossed the Straw, while Bean toddled after. When Cole got to the middle of Straw... However, Straw began to burn, and burned through and through. So this Cole is actively on fire... That seems irresponsible for everyone, particularly coal. Coal fell fizzling into the water and died. Straw broke into two pieces and flowed away. Bean, who was somewhat behind, slipped and fell into the water, but managed to help herself a little by swimming. I guess Bean can swim somehow. I'm not sure why Bean is able to swim, whereas coal and straw just immediately die. Finally, Bean had to drink so much water... That she burst, and was driven to shore in this condition. Fortunately, a tailor was sitting there. He was resting while taking a hike in the woods. Since he had a needle and thread in his sack, he sewed bean together. Ever since this time, all the beans have a seam. The End So this is a story, I think it's called a pourquoi story. It's like a French term. I think it's also called a just-so story. It's a type of folk tale that explains why something is the way that it is. Uh, the origins of, of you know, an anim- why an animal is the way it is, why certain... Just, yeah, you, you get it. This isn't a complicated concept. All right, but we haven't got many of those so far. Ingram's Fairy Tales. Kind of cool we got this one. And also kind of random. We just have a coal, a straw, and a bean on a journey together. Apparently they're great traveling companions and have very many great adventures which are not addressed in this story. This story only addressed how two of them die. Maybe three of them die. They don't actually say that the Bean survives this. Yeah, just that drank a bunch of water and then burst. And then the Bean was sewed up by the tailor. Bean may have been sewed up as a corpse, we don't know this. Taylor just had a needle and thread, said, Hey, there's a burst bean, gonna sew it up, all is well now. Yeah, there's also a note here that says, According to another bean, according to another story, Bean was the first to make it across the straw. She reached the other side safely and looked back at Cole on the other side and how he was crossing. In the middle of the way, Cole burned through straw, fell into the water, and fizzled. When Bean saw this, she laughed so hard that she burst. The tailor, who was sitting on the shore, sewed her up but only had black thread. This is why all the beans have a black seam. So I like this. We've got an alt we've got an alternate ending here. Same same result, beans have black seams. Except in this event, or except in this instance, Bean is kind of a sadistic horrible friend and just laughs. As her two buddies, her two traveling companions, die horribly in a river and just laughs so hard that she literally explodes. And then the tailor does the thing where he sews her dead body up again. So yeah, this seems like a hastily written origin story, if you ask me. Doesn't seem like a lot of thought went into this. Also, the whole straw and coal thing, kind of irrelevant, Could, could sort of be anything. You just need to get the bean in the water. Or the bean laughing. Everything else is pretty secondary in terms of the the ultimate goal or the ultimate end point, which is beans have seams. But yeah. There we go. The end. I'm gonna adapt this one. Can do a little more with this. So this is going to be a movie. And to cast it, I'm gonna have the bean is going to be Taylor Tomlinson. I don't know if you know. Just stand-up comedian, Taylor Tomlinson. She'd be good. I've never actually seen her act. I don't know if she's a good actress. I just feel like she would be appropriate for this. I like Taylor Tomlinson. She's going to be the bean. For Straw, going to have Zach Woods from The Office, from a bunch of stuff. Great improviser. It's also very tall and gangly. Seems appropriate. For Cole, is going to be Bobby Lee. Also stand-up comedian. Also a very funny actor. He'd be great for this. Very fiery, very passionate. You can just imagine him, you know, the Cole. You've got to have the coal sort of personality. you got the fire, you got the rage. He's sort of the leader of the group. Yeah, Bobby Lee would be good. I can imagine him just sort of tearing down Zach Woods and barking orders, but also, he, yeah, he's the leader. They kind of look up to him at the same time on their travels. So we got these three on their travels, going about their way. They're crossing a bridge. Zach Woods, as Straw, puts together sort of a rudimentary kind of bridge, maybe with a a fallen tree or something, and then he's sort of securing it as Bobby Lee is crossing and Taylor Tomlinson is crossing as well. And Bobby Lee does something that then causes it to break. Maybe he's, he's sort of antagonizing Zach Woods and poking at him or like, tickling him or something, just being a little stinker, basically. And then because of what he's doing, the bridge breaks. They fall in, and Taylor Tomlinson gets separated from the other two and washes ashore. And that's where she comes across the tailor, who is Jason Manzukis. I like Jason Manzukis. The Taylor is Jason Manzukis, and. Taylor Thompson Taylor Tomlinson does not explode from being overly waterlogged, or from laughing so hard. She's just kind of, you know, she's unconscious. She's a little. She's she's ill. She needs to be tended to health wise to recover. And so Jason Manzukis, the tailor, has a has an adorable house on the water. He takes her in and brings her back to health. Basically, they they develop a. Based on the age difference, they develop kind of a father-daughter relationship, and Taylor Tomlinson, she's been part of this band of, of traveling sort of misfits, Bobby Lee and Zach Woods, all around the country, they've been traveling forever and ever, and it's, it's kind of all she's known is this life on the road, and Jason Manzoukas is sort of this, this calm, you know, wise figure, who's a tailor who, who has his trade, and he plies his trade on, on, the, on the riverbanks, and for passing, passing travelers, and also for a village nearby that he he rides his trusty horse into on the weekends or whenever the market day is in olden times and he teaches her that you don't have to constantly be adrift and be roaming you can you can learn your trade and live calmly and peacefully and that is when there is a reemergence no not a reemergence we cut then to Zach Woods and Bobby Lee, who have washed ashore much further downriver, much, much further away. They barely survived. They get out of the water and they're like, We have to find Bean, is their nickname, I guess, for Taylor Tomlinson. We have to find her so we can continue traveling. We can't leave her behind. She'll want to be with us. Gotta find her. So then they go, they follow the river. It takes a few days. They they have a couple you know trials and tribulations, they get attacked by bandits. Bybilee does some you know gift a gab to get him out of it. Ultimately, they find their way to the Taylor's house, and he greets them at the door. They don't even know that Taylor Thompson is there, and she she doesn't know she's back, she hears them, she doesn't know if she should come out and, and say that she's there, and then and Jason Manzoukas is sort of covering for her because he, he doesn't know if she wants to go back to them because it, it comes out in the time that they spent together that Bobby Lee is yes, he took care of them and looked after or and helped Zach Woods and, and Taylor Tomlinson, but he's also a bit, bit forceful or, you know, he's, he's kind of a dick. He's kind of an asshole. And yeah, so she doesn't know if she wants to go back, but ultimately they're her family, basically. And so she comes out and reveals herself and they say, oh, we've been looking for you come now we found you we can continue our travels and and carry on as we venture across the countryside and she and she says no we don't have to be wandering travelers for the rest of our lives we can we can we can you know make a make a home. That's all we've been searching for isn't it as we've, we've gone through the country we just have been searching for a home Bobby. And then Taylor Tomlinson you know, she's a bean so she becomes a, a cook and a chef. And then Bobby Lee becomes a blacksmith because you know, of coal. Then he sets up a little shop just beside the Taylor's house. And Taylor Tomlinson sets up her little her her kitchen, maybe a little restaurant or you know cafe or travelers travelers inn, maybe an inn. And then Zach Woods, he's straw. He becomes a a farmer and a sheepherder, and he has the land nearby and they graze the sheep and they make they make a little mini village, little community, and they live happily ever after together, and it ends with them all riding their horses and carts to market fade out as they ride into the sunrise because, you know, it's, it's market day, if they can't be riding into the sunset because then they'd be getting to market way too late and would probably get attacked by highway bandits and murder or something like that um, yeah sunrise the end so there we go that's how i'd adapt it i'm into it i think it's a movie it's pretty tight it's pretty clean you could then have like a a spin-off tv show if you want to see their their adventures or what they get up to after that that's i'm i'm happy with that though boom movie write it up contact all those people that i just mentioned so there we go two stories this week next week we've got a story titled the Fisherman and His Wife. The Fisherman and His Wife. That is next week. I will see you then. I know you've got your own adaptation ideas as well. Send those to me over on Twitter or Instagram. You know, I say that every week send those to me on Twitter or Instagram. I'm terrible at social media. I'm terrible at Twitter. I'm terrible at Instagram. I'm not particularly interested in social media, to be honest. I mean, I'm a writer who, who likes folklore and has a folktale podcast. It's not surprising that social media is not my strong suit. So, yeah, but send them to me on Twitter. That would be motivation for me to actually check Twitter and engage with it in that way. I just have the Twitter and Instagram because I feel like I should with a podcast. I probably have that. But yeah, I don't check it often. I'm not very good at it, but I probably should. And if you send me some adaptation ideas then that would be motivation for me to actually do that. So that'd be win-win, win-win all around. But yeah, send those over to me there. You can check out the website, shadowbearstoriesessions.com. You can donate. You can contact me with any suggestions or feedback. We'd love to hear from you. And that will do it for this week. Come on back next week for the fisherman and his wife. My name is Zach Stewart, and these are the Shadow Bear Story Sessions.